Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. We are at the very beginning of this whole crazy MCU, looking at John Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And back with me again is Kyle Olson from Legible Scrawl. Hey there. Hey, glad to be here. Back for more fun, flying around right. uh, the coast of California. That's right. Iron Man taking his little scenic tour. We are looking at Iron Man Minute 64 on today's show. The minute starts with the little boy losing his ice cream, Aww. and it ends with a powerless Iron Man plummeting toward the earth. <gasps> yeah. Have you ever found yourself plummeting toward the earth? <laughs> uh, no, but I have dropped ice cream. So, I mean, I guess I can more resemble the first so, thing than the second. So there is that. There's a lot of things falling. Ice cream, Iron Man. A lot of falling. <laughs> Our stomachs plummeting. What will happen to our hero? Yeah, right. Absolutely. I uh, I went bungee jumping once, and that oh. that's probably I've never um, gone skydiving, but I have bungee jumped, and that's the only time I've plummeted toward the earth because you do fall uh, pretty fast with that. And uh, but then on the rebound after you bounce and you come back up, you have that exact mm-hmm. moment that he has in this minute where you kind of hit that peak, and then all of a sudden you like flail, and then you fall. <laughs> <laughs> those, those, that second of I'm flying and you know, then down yeah, you go you're again. Like, oh, yeah, and there I goes, thought that was my jumping. stomach. That would again. be the thing is, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not the it's not the one. It's like the after the the first fear, like, oh, I didn't die, and then it's like now it's gonna you now I'm just gonna have to do it again, right. like fifty percent, then twenty five percent, and again and again and again. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, the closest I, I've ever come to that, I guess, was when I did uh, Doctor Doom's Fear Fall at uh, Universal Islands of Adventure. Oh, okay. They take you up. It's it's basically like a drop. They just take you up really high and they hang you up there and Doctor Doom then laughs at you and then it drops you. <laughs> oh, gotcha. It's like the uh, Tower of Terror, one of those sorts of rides, right? Like the Tower of Terror, yeah. yes, except way cheesier. <laughs> and outside, too. So, I mean, it really is just like a carnival ride that they just stuck a bunch of Fantastic Four stickers around. Uh, I see. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you got to market it somehow, right? Get more people That's on right. the ride. At the, at the time, Marvel was just like, we just don't want to go out of business. We'll sign whatever <laughs> you want. Uh, those were the days. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny. The things that they uh, signed away, right? Right. Because, I mean, even now, people coming into even this movie, watching it now, like, like they want to get into this whole MCU thing. This is a Paramount movie. Right, yeah. Like, everything here was done by... Marvel was 10 guys in a room. The Marvel Cinematic, you know, think, think it was, you know, it was Kevin Feige and Ike Perlmutter and, and a couple other people. And that was it. Not even Stan Lee. I mean, like it was just yeah, a, yeah, a, it was... A, a small consortium. And then they were like going to a major movie studio, Paramount in this case, saying like, hey, we want to make this kind of movie. And they're like, yeah, OK, guys, great. Yeah, it was very much like a kind of a release deal that they kind of came up with with these guys as they were really trying to find a home and and make it work and it's it is interesting to see how uh how things change boy do they yeah yeah that that, that we have even have a consistent universe in terms of tone and characters and stuff too when it's crossed multiple studios yeah you know right. paramount universal you know disney in order to get to where it is now where it's all under under the house of mouse well i will say it's been nice seeing people play nice with each other and find ways yes. to make it work where universal is kind of letting them use hulk and sony mm-hmm. and and disney have a deal now to kind of you know share iron man and spider-man uh, back and forth and it's nice that they're are kind of coming to arrangements so that everybody can be happy with these uh, Marvel properties. Yes, I agree. And, and it, it's it's the fact that Paramount 
let them buy the rights to the movies back. I mean, that's almost unheard of. I mean, like even in, in all situation, like at, at the time that we're we're recording this, um, Fox and Dis- uh, 20th Century Fox and Disney are two separate companies. <laughs> yeah. By the time you hear this, that might not be the case. <laughs> right. um, but uh, uh, a 20th Century Fox still owns the first Star Wars. So whenever Disney wants to release anything off of it, they have to go sort of walk over to to 20th Century Fox and be like, uh, uh, "Can we can we put it in a box set? Can we do this kind of stuff?" Because they have never given up the rights to that. Now, obviously, that will come part and parcel if this whole merger thing has happened. And and you, future listener, <laughs> know the answer to the question that we do not. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're but you're but you're right. The the fact that Paramount was was. Um, they savvy enough to be like, okay, like you want to have all your things. Here's, here's our, here's our price, you know, write it on a napkin, slide it over. And, um, uh, Disney said, okay. And then, you know, sign them a check so that everything can all live in, in, under uh, one umbrella. And then, yeah, like you say, all the ancillary ones that they're all being, the fact that Sony and Disney played nice for Spider-Man Wow! Yeah, <laughs> that boggles my mind. Like, there could be a whole movie just about that. <laughs> like, what was the behind the scenes regularly that made that happen? Yeah, that, right? that's that's fascinating to me. Yeah, it, it's really interesting, and it was. I mean, it, honestly, I think it was really good for Sony. I think they found a way to ride it because I mean, they'd been releasing a Spider-Man property every every few years, but then with to, with the release, to diminishing returns. Yeah, to, right. And uh, but with uh, with this deal and the success of that integration all of a sudden they had a fantastic new spider-man and they had venom which is arguably a a movie with issues but still very financially successful we can can both say yeah exactly we can say it's a hit yeah yeah absolutely a hit that's that's another podcast but like yeah it's a it it is a a a bona fide it's fine they're making sequels well in the black what are you gonna do exactly and then spider-man into the (laughs) spider-verse so they they ended up hitting a a perfect way to kind of move past some of the issues and find a way to kind of uh give new life to that franchise that uh, i think is is really smart for them and in the process made one of the best of the marvel movies spider-man homecoming is terrific like it's not even just like yeah okay like like the incredible hulk let's say where you watch it and you go yeah okay like it's it's got some issues that do but like spider-man homecoming is a wonderful movie. Like it's, it's, uh, there's very little to complain about during it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to eventually getting to talk about that one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, come find me in 19 years or whatever. Right. <laughs> I was thinking that in 2030. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, and that'll be it. Now the sequel to that is, is on the horizon as well. But yeah. like it, sh- like that, that's, that's the weird thing is it shouldn't have worked. Like that many studios, that many creative people, that many egos involved. There's yeah, no right? way that movie's going to be good, and it not only is good, it's great. And same thing, and, and so well, let's, let's. And this is where I transition back. And the same <laughs> thing goes for this movie, which well, is a little movie about a, a a sort of a very low profile character um, with mid tier people at the time like it, we, oh yeah we all love rdj but like you talk i'm not going to rehash all that stuff because you you've you've done a good job of covering that like you he had his problems and like he was not 
known as a bankable star. Uh, and John Favreau was not a bankable director in terms of that you would hand a million dollar, multi-million dollar franchise over to. And you know, almost everyone on this are, are sort of doing things outside their comfort zone. It shouldn't have worked. And yet not only did it work, <laughs> Iron Man is an amazing movie. And, and we see that exactly like in this minute, this is one of the best examples of that. It's the magic that uh, John Favreau brings uh, with Robert Downey Jr. in finding the right way to kind of tell the story and just make you thrilled for him. And this is a great moment where you really get to enjoy that. Uh, you know, this is uh, right at the beginning of this minute. Um, he's he's circling the Ferris wheel. And for whatever reason, he kind of pinpoints on these kids, which is just really funny that uh, that's exactly what he sees is these is these two children. And uh, in their little gondola, as it's flying, you can see first it kind of targets the gondola and then it targets the family. You can see the two kids and their mom. And then it zooms in uh, one more time and you see these two kids as the little boy's licking it and clearly sees <laughs> this flying uh -huh. man going by and drops his ice <laughs> yeah. cream, which is it's it's one of those moments where the the acting is clearly just child acting. It's pretty yeah. flawed, but it's awfully adorable all the same. And you know who those actors are? I have no idea. I looked and looked I, uh, all, uh, everywhere I, I looked. Know. It said unknown boy and girl. Ooh. See, now, when I came on this podcast, I was like, you know, it's nice to be in a room talking to us like, for someone who knows more than me, because it so rarely happens when it comes to this nerd stuff. But, haha, I get to tell you something. I love that. This is amazing. These are John Favreau's kids. Now, see, I had heard that, but yeah. I couldn't find it anywhere, so I assumed that they weren't. Yep. They they are. That, that is Max and Madeline. Those are his, uh, his, his son and his daughter. He is, at the time, his third kid was a baby, so like obviously not going to be in there, too. But yeah, uh, in the uh, commentary track that they did at the the uh, American Cinematique, they, he talks about, yep, there's my kids. That's like, he awesome. put them in there. And then uh, they'll they'll actually show up in, in future John Favreau films as well, so including another appearance in an Iron Man movie. Is that his wife on the right then? Or it is, is not. That, okay. It is not. Just no. some mysterious uh, extra. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just an extra who happened to have long hair. They just right. picked her out of the crowd and said, just you. put her in the shadows. Don't look at the camera. Right. <laughs> we only want to see the back of <laughs> your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is Hollywood. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Yeah. I, well, and I love that as he, uh, as he, I mean, we, he, as we discussed in the last minute, he was going like 230 mm -hmm. miles an hour as he's getting right. here. As he's pinpointing this, he slows down to where he's go only going about Mach 0. 0.05 or so. So he's <laughs> so slowed down go, quite, yeah, quite a bit because that's about like 38 miles an hour. So, yeah. <laughs> So as we're on the uh, subject of uh, weird, obscure trivia, do you know what happened to the Santa Monica Ferris wheel? It is no longer in Santa Monica. I know. It is a really interesting thing. And it happened like right after this, too, which right. I, I find really interesting. I know. You think they could capitalize on the tourism, but no. Yeah, right. And, I, you know, I had been out at, at the Santa Monica Pier before 2008 and I wish that I could say that I went on it, but I didn't. <laughs> I looked at it and I said, "Oh, that's a cool Ferris wheel." You didn't get you could you didn't go on there with an ice cream cone and <laughs> <laughs> No, I didn't. And now I should have. I should have. <sighs> I know. But yeah, the uh the Ferris wheel um had uh, closed down in uh, 2008 and uh, it went up to auction on eBay of all places and uh Grant Humphreys over in Oklahoma City purchased it uh, for $134,000. And he brought it brought it out to uh, Kansas to get a million dollar makeover. 
And uh, then it, uh, I guess it went up uh, just south of the Oklahoma River in Oklahoma City yeah. in uh, in 2016. So it t- took a little a little while to get it up and going again. You know, I've heard of some extreme Marvel fans, but that's really got to be the the top. That you bought a Ferris wheel just because it was an Iron Man. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't find out if it had actually opened yet, though. Oh, yeah, um, they, they were the article that I found said that it was. They were hoping it was going to open next summer, i.e., uh, or this summer in in summer of 2016. But I don't know if it actually did or not. Hmm. Listeners, <laughs> send in your comments and let us know. Have you ridden yes. on the Cinemax Ferris wheel? Have you had a ice cream cone drop from your hand? It's it's great because you know I mean living in Arizona we've got the London Bridge mm-hmm. over in uh, Lake Havasu, uh, so obviously the idea of importing importing pieces of cities uh, from one place to another just makes sense to us here. <laughs> it, it's funny I was I was reading about these kids online uh, trying to find their names mm-hmm. uh, and and I came across a, an article is like TVTropes.com or mm. something like that and oh, it's yeah. talking about this particular scene with with the standard trope that we get here and mm-hmm. one is the ice cream falling off the cone trope yep. when a character is surprised and the other is the staring kid trope <laughs> of course we do get both of those out of the same kid which is just fantastic yeah uh, and i love the, that the, uh, the sad trombone and you've got the <laughs> all right i love that these are are so uh common that it's, <laughs> it's become just commonplace to say oh Ice cream fell off. Wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's you know, and once again, it's is it a cheap gag? Sure, but it's charming, and it's you know, it's it's it gets it's that uh, you know the the kid pointing up in the sky as as you know, someone goes ahead. Oh, oh it's Spider Man. You know, that's it's that kind of thing of like, what did I just yeah, see? And yeah. then cause the <laughs> the further you go down that kid's story, the sadder it gets. Like, no, mom, I'm serious. I saw it. Okay. <laughs> it's, that's how it always is. You better stop that line uh-huh. to me or I'm going to reach back there and hit you. you know, it's, it's, you've seen that so many times in movies and that poor kid is right. just trying to tell the truth. It'll be like two weeks and then all of a sudden it'll be like, that's the guy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh, it's great. And we go from this uh, fantastic moment on the Santa Monica Pier as uh, as Tony, it's, yeah, they, they shoot it so well. You get mm-hmm. these great shots where he's so far in the distance and it's just like he's he's like uh, the end of a firework. Yeah. You can just see this little dot kind of moving across the horizon. Um, he flies out over the uh, the city and then through the clouds. And then you get that great shot where he's just, it. he curves and just goes uh-huh. straight up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see what this baby can really do. It's a, it's an interesting moment, and I, I like how he pulls the um, the information for the SR seventy one Blackbird yeah up onto the screen so he can compare with uh, that record. Of course, the uh, the SR seventy one Blackbird uh, it went about eighty five thousand feet, and I, I guess it actually did hold this record where it flew mm-hmm. at eighty five thousand feet sustained and that's the the record it's Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's the yeah that's that's the thing that makes it different than all the rest of them because other other planes have gone up and down right right some people say it's these these zoom climbs where they'll go up and down and up and but uh, yeah this had a sustained flight and so it's an absolute altitude record of eighty five thousand sixty nine feet that this thing uh flew on july 28th 1976 uh by the pilot, Captain Robert Helt. Yeah, this, the plane was designed and built before computers. Everything was done on slide rules. 
It is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. So for the for the for the geeky among you, uh, the SR seventy one Black Bar is also sometimes known as the X Jet. The Blackbird, that's the same one that uh, the X-Men use to transport themselves around. Uh, also, it is the G.I. Joe's Night Raven. Hey. You could buy. I even owned one of those when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> flown by Strato Viper. Uh, it even had a little uh, jet on the top that way you could go on. It would it would fly off separately. Uh, but it was it, oh, it, so cool. a cool thing. No, it was a giant because the, the, at the time G.I. Joe was, they could, they could make giant toys. But all the missiles had to fire backwards because it was so fast. <laughs> like if it shot forwards it would just crash into its own missiles yeah it would run into it i love that right missiles yeah it was so fast yeah that's why they're usually underneath so they can just drop below yeah exactly yeah this one like they even they were they were saying they're mounted below but they're mounted facing backwards because it was going to be it was going to be so far ahead of anything that was trying to chase it that's funny mm-hmm well, as as uh, Iron Man is flying, we get this uh, this great uh, view from the HUD as he's kind of cruising up into the sky, and he's talking to Jarvis about this record and everything. And it's uh, it's an interesting screen as he's talking about it and getting the record information and all that. On the left of his point of view, you get an actual altitude uh, screen that actually breaks it down into public altitudes uh, up to I don't know, probably about 30,000 feet or so, commercial altitudes, military altitudes, and at the very top, aerospace altitudes. Uh-huh. And it shows the SR-71 way up in the aerospace altitude. So you know that's at about the uh, the 85,000 mark. And as he's having this conversation with Jarvis, you see him go from about 49 to 50% of that. So at this point of him flying, he is probably about 42,500 feet up in the air. And that's about when he starts icing up. Yeah. And things take, take a, take a turn. And the nice thing about this is not only do we see, there's a lot of really nice storytelling happening here because we've had this, this amazing fight and this sense of joy and, and it's finally Iron Man and he's out there and he's doing these things. And now we're seeing a little bit of Tony's hubris. Because it's that's yes. not enough. Like it was like Jarvis was already saying, like, all right, systems work, let's shut it down. Tony said, Nope. Right. <laughs> We're going full bore. And so he's staying on <laughs> the flight. But that's not enough. So he wants to push it now to the limits. He wants to get it into the red. Uh and and obviously we'll see this <laughs> played out numerous times of Tony pushing just too far uh and this is one of those right. but then also nice because uh this will is unbeknownst to us at the time watching it we think it's just a a seeing tony um going a little bit too farther than he should but it actually is uh setting up a little bit of what's going to happen in a future scene in in this movie it's it's a great way to do a setup and payoff without realizing and that's that's i think what makes a moment in a film smart when you can have a setup without realizing that it's a setup right for something that's going to come later it's a, it's a very clean way to do it yeah but in the meantime tony's in some serious trouble here <laughs> yeah and actually I, I i misspoke earlier he so he's flying at about 50 percent when he's talking to jarvis but then he hits this point where he starts flying really fast straight up and and you if you watch the little altimeter on the left he goes from about the bottom of the the second range which is the commercial flight range um he goes through that so fast he goes uh from the bottom which is about the 40 49 50 percent up to the top of that over the course of those like 10 seconds that he's having this conversation and by the time he gets to the top 
of the commercial window into the military, that's when that icing really starts hitting him. And uh, yeah, he he flew too close to the sun. Yeah, the icy sun. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's all the uh, the opposite Icarus. Sir. It's great though, as yeah. he's as he's flying up toward you, and you get that shot, and you can start seeing the ice coming on his body, and his boots uh, kind of spark and break down, and then you get that amazing shot, like just kind of pushing into his eyes as they flicker and go out, and it's just like this cavernous blackness in there, and you realize. Yeah, this is uh this is not uh kind of this cool robot suit. If it breaks down up here, right. <laughs> You're, yeah, exactly. Like it, it basically froze Jarvis. It froze the, com- yeah. the computer system entirely. Like it basically shuts down. And now you're just a guy in a suit of armor <laughs> very, very <Yep>. high up. <laughs> Like 60,000 feet or something like that, just (laughs) plummeting straight down toward the earth. But interestingly, that it it also seems to release too because he starts flailing. Like, you know, so it's not just like it's it's all ice and frozen up because, like, he reaches that point and it stops, and then all of a sudden, arms and legs go out like he's, you know, like really falling, not just like stuck inside in in a rigid position. Yeah. And that's actually a a good point, because I think when I first saw this and and uh, and you see him going up and he's in that delta pose and Mm -hmm. he hits that top, I wasn't I was almost like for a, a split second expecting him to be stuck in that pose and falling that way like he froze that way. Yeah. And he and he was just laying in the ground like a lawn dart. <laughs> but you do see that ice crack and, and, mm-hmm. and that flailing and you realize okay he's iced up but at least he can still move yes yeah but then we then we get to see the another great pov shot uh from inside the helmet where it's like it's terrifying <laughs> because like you're seeing oh. like just the ground uh, like swirl away and now it's gone now it's the sky now it's the ground and you can do absolutely nothing yeah it's that apollo 13 view where they're trying to look through that little tiny window to line up the earth with it (laughs) yeah but it's like that's all they have is that little window that's like you know six inches square that they can look through and it's like that's all he gets yeah sorry what roadie calls (laughs) dead stick uh it's just terrifying well and weirdly like I guess from his perspective, it might be less scary because mm-hmm. all he can see is like flashing lights. He has no idea really how far he is. <laughs> That's true. Very, very narrow slots. He knew where he was. I know he knows he's falling, but he has no idea because if you saw the altimeter rapidly going down numbers, maybe that would right. it, be it worse. It would almost be worse. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, in the, in the in the commentary thing, um, Favreau says that he does not like these shots. He does not like the ice. Like it is like he says, if he had another huh. chance, he would go back and redo it. He doesn't like how it how it looks on the armor. That's interesting because I love how it looks. I, think, I do too. I really like the creeping of the ice over the top of it, as opposed to like big chunks. It's it's like you get to see it sort of this frost forming over the all of the the shiny silver. Yeah, yeah. It's always worked for me. I, I think it's very effective. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's directors, and yeah. anytime you're doing a creative project, you're going to have those moments where you may have a hugely successful project, but as the director, you're still going to look at it and go, "Gosh, yeah. I wish I did this. I wish I did that." It's inevitable. It's it's the way of it. But uh, I don't think he needs to worry. <laughs> yeah, that's like what great great films are never finished; they're abandoned. Yes, exactly. Except by except by George Lucas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only. <laughs> abandon it. Please abandon it. <laughs> I guess in a way he did abandon it for a large sum of money. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, I actually read today. Um, I think it was Kurt Busiek said um, uh, when when a when a writer reads another writer's work, they read the story. When they read their own work, they're reading the words. Yeah, oh, that's good. That's good. And I was like, yeah, because that's that's how I feel. Because I when I finish a, a, a script before I hand it off to producers or actors, ever I usually hate it. Oh yeah, I was like, I am a fraud. <laughs> I'm a failure. <laughs> why? Why did I think I could do this? And then and off to them, and then let it go for a while. And then I, when I come back to it, it's like, oh yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, it always helps when you uh, have people read it that first time, and you do like a table read, and you go, oh okay, yeah, okay. That sounded a lot better than I thought it would. Or you have those moments where you're like, ooh, God, who wrote that? Yeah. <laughs> I've had those yeah, moments, when I, too. When I ever do a script reading and, and it goes to, I, uh, in the, in the, I have my, my copy that I'm going along, I write clunk next to the jokes that don't work. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I go through like, ooh, yeah, that, that died on the table. Yeah, I need to get rid of that. It did not work. Did not work. Well, I, uh, I don't have anything else with this minute. What about you? Yeah, say so we're, we're, we're left. Another, another uh, uh, cliffhanger. We're left Indeed. with like, oh, God, what's <laughs> going to happen in the next minute? Will he be able to survive? We don't know. And you won't find out until next episode. Exactly. You'll have to wait a day, everybody. That's right. Sorry. Uh, well, Kyle, uh, why don't you tell everybody uh, again where they can find you out there on the interwebs? Sure. Um, I, I am the uh, one of the main creative forces behind the Monday Matinee podcast. Uh, it's, a, it's a fiction anthology show that I write and uh, direct and occasionally voice act when I can't find somebody to do the job. Uh, it's uh, it's, uh, it's it's sort of run like a network where each each one is a different story. So we have uh, we have the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society. We have uh, Fret Trimolo, Rock and Roll Detective. Uh, that one is set in the world of uh, like all the songs talk about uh, you belong to the city and uh, uh, we built the city on rock and roll. And I thought, what if that's an actual city? Like, what if it's a real place where the Heartbreak Hotel is a real place and uh, Electric Avenue uh, is is a, place, a road you can drive on and all the people in the songs are actually living there. So, and of course, people have problems and they need help. And so that's where Fret Tremolo comes in. So uh, it's all set in, in the world where you'll... You'll see a lot of characters uh, from songs that you you've seen uh, in in whole new ways. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a fun show, and we 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 don't take ourselves too seriously. It's uh, let's see, I'm trying to think what the 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 phrase is. It's uh, snarky meta natural fiction uh, delivered on Mondays. <laughs> so check it I out if it. you're if you're so inclined. That is fantastic. Well, uh, <laughs> thanks again for joining me, and uh, I look forward to chatting more with you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a good one. All right, everybody, that is it for today's show. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free over at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room. And of course, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash The Next Reel. Until next time, true believers. True believers.